Over 250 years ago, Nikolsburg, the capital of Moravia, which was a province of Austria-Hungary, boasted of a very important Jewish community. For many generations, it was the seat of famous Rabbonim, Rabbi Yehuda Leiv ben Betzalel, who later became the Maharal of Prague, Harav Yomtev Lipman Heller, who wrote the Toysvus Yomtev, and many other outstanding Talmid Chachomim and Rabbonim. Whenever the need arose to choose a new chief rabbi for Nicholsburg, who would at the same time be the chief rabbi for all of Moravia, the Kehila naturally looked for an exceptionally brilliant and holy Goyen, one of the leading rabbinical figures of the generation. And that description fitted Rabbi Shmuel Shmelka, a Talmud of the great Magid, Arav Doivber of Mezrich, who was himself a Talmud of the Holy Baal Shem Tev. Rabbi Shmuel Shmelka had occupied many important rabbinical positions in several Jewish communities in Poland. The Kihila of Nikolsburg decided to invite him to come for Shabbos to be a candidate for the position of chief rabbi. Rabbi Shmuel Shmelka was happy to accept the invitation, and he was welcomed with great honor. Long before the time, the shul was crowded to overflowing so they could hear him deliver his drosh. Everyone was greatly inspired by his words. The Tamid Chachamim of the Kihila were very impressed with the Rav's mastery of Gemara. Some weeks after he returned home, Rabbi Shmuel Shmelka received an official invitation from the Kihila's leaders to the effect that he was elected chief rabbi and of Besden of Nikolsburg, as well as chief rabbi of Moravia. The new chief rabbi arrived in Nikolsburg and was warmly greeted by the entire community who came out to greet him as he approached the outskirts of the city and then escorted him all the way to the chief rabbi's residence. He lost no time in giving his attention to the daily problems of Jewish life in Nikolsburg. This often left him with much less time for learning Taita than he would prefer. So to make up for it, he would study late into the night and get up very early in the morning, cutting down on his sleep to a bare minimum. At that time, the community Shamash of Nikolsburg was a deeply God-fearing Jew, although not much of a Talmud Chacham. The first task of this Shamash in the morning was to get up very early and knock on the windows and shutters of the Jewish homes, calling out, wake up Jews, and arise to the service of the Creator. He would complete his round at the Rav's house where he would slip in for a moment's rest. He would sit down and make a cup of tea and listen to the Rav humming as he was engrossed in learning Gomorrah. He continued this practice also. One early morning, on reaching the rabbi's house, the Shamash saw Rabbi Shmuel Shmelka sitting as always with the Gomorrah in front of him learning. But beside him stood a strange-looking man, with a leather girdle around his waist. Knowing all the Jews in town, the Shamash reckoned that this must be a traveling Jew who had spent the night at the Rav's house. 
the following morning at the same early hour, the old Shamash was surprised to see the stranger again standing near the Rav and listening to his learning. Later that morning, when the Shamash found the Rav again alone in his study, he asked who the stranger was. The rabbi was taken aback by this question. After some hesitation, he told the old Shamash that it was Eliyahu Hanovi Zachur Latoiv, but that it's better not to talk about it. So the Shamash asked no more questions. Some days later, the Shamash happened to be passing the Rav's house late at night, when he was startled to see something quite extraordinary. The door to the rabbi's house was open from inside, and there appeared the rabbi carrying a candelabra with two lit candles, escorting two guests. One of them was the man that the Shamash knew to be Eliyahu Hanavi Zachulitoiv. But the sight of the second man made the Shamash tremble with awe, for he was wearing a crown on his head and carried a royal scepter in his hand. The Shamash was petrified as he watched the king walk out of the door first, followed by Eliyahu Hanavi, while behind them walked the Rav, carrying the candelabra with the two lit candles. The Rav escorted his visitors for a few more steps and then turned back to the house and went into his study to continue learning. The old Shamish wanted very much to know who the king was and what business he had with the Rav. He got his courage up and went into the house to see the Rav just as he was about to begin learning. The Shamash spoke most apologetically. I humbly beg forgiveness of the Rav for my chutzpah. It's the request of this foolish old man. Please, I'm so curious. Who was the king whom you escorted from your house? And if I may know it, what was the purpose of his visit? Actually, said the Rav, we shouldn't talk about this. But since you saw what you saw, you might as well know the whole story. The man you saw wearing the crown, carrying the scepter, and wearing the royal robes was Manasseh, ben Chizkiyahu, Melech Yehuda, King Manasseh, the king of Judah. He came with a special request in connection with the Din Taira that we had today in Nicholsburg. This is how it came about. In a certain town in Moravia, there lived a Jew who was very artistic, and he had a great talent for painting pictures and making dolls and toys and so forth. But despite this great urge to express his talent freely, he was very determined to obey most carefully the mitzvah, you shall not make for yourself a sculptured image or any picture of that which is in the heavens above, which is on the earth below, or which is in the water beneath the earth. Not only did this man not do any of these things, but he felt it would be an aveda to even look at getchkes or statues. So one night he went into town and began to smash every statue he saw. A night watchman caught him and arrested him. 
He was brought to trial, sentenced to be put to death, and was hanged on the same day, Lyolainu. Needless to say, the whole Kehillah was in danger, but the Jewish leaders, with help from Hashem, managed to convince the authorities of that town that no one else in the community had anything to do with the destruction of the statues and that the only person responsible for smashing the statues was the man that they had convicted and put to death. And he did it only because he believed he was carrying out one of the Aserasa Dibrois, the Ten Commandments, which God Almighty had proclaimed at Harsinai. Now, continued the Rav, the man who had been executed was very poor and left no estate from which his widow could collect what was due to her according to her ksuba. Usually, in a case like this, the Hevra Kadisha would pay out the ksuba from a special fund it had for the purpose of helping poor Almonis. But the Hevra Kadisha turned down this widow's request on the grounds that the obligation is only in the case of a normal death, not a suicide. And in this case, the man who smashed the statues surely knew that his actions would result in his being put to death. And it was the same as if he had taken his own life, Rahman al-Itzlan. Therefore, concluded the Hevra Kadisha, the responsibility was not theirs, but that of the Kehillah. The case came before the Rav and the Bezdin of that town, and they decided to refer the matter to the Bezdin of Nikolsburg for judgment. So today, continued Rabbi Shmuel Shmelka, my colleagues and I looked carefully into the matter, and after discussing all of its aspects in great detail, we could not come up with a decision regarding the widow's claim. We decided to continue our discussion tomorrow. Tonight, while I sat and pondered the problem, Menashe the king appeared before me and told me that he was an interested party in this case. He told me that since he had died more than 2,250 years ago, his neshama could find no rest because of the sin of idolatry that he had committed in his lifetime and for placing a gechka also in the Beis HaMikdash. In every generation, his neshama had to come back to earth as a Gilgul in a different body in order to make amends for the sins he had committed. Yet the purification of his neshama was not complete until the death of the statue-breaker. It so happened that the statue-breaker's soul was Manasha's soul, reincarnated yet another time. But this time, the statue-breaker had devoted his entire life to the mitzvah of not making any carved idol until he had actually given his life for it. This finally brought about complete tshuva for Manasha's Aveda, and now Manasha's soul can rest in peace. And now that my colleagues and I have to issue the verdict, Manasha came to tell me that we should not consider the hanged man as a person who took his own life, but as a saintly Jew who gave his life, al-Kiddush Hashem, to sanctify the name of Hashem. Thus, Rabbi Shmuel Shmelka concluded his strange story to the old Shamash. He did not tell the Shamash whether he had now reached a decision and whether it was in favor of the widow or the Hevra Kadisha, 
but he did ask the shamash to keep the entire matter completely secret. And the shamash did in fact keep both of these unusual occurrences secret for many years until he felt compelled to reveal them one day. Adin Taira came before the Rav in which a wealthy, influential member of the community council was involved. In the dispute, the Rav ruled against this prominent Jew. As a result, unfortunately, this prominent Jew and his family and friends became enemies of the Rav. They began to plot to have the Rav sent away and looked for some fault or wrongdoing of which to accuse him. So what fault did they find? They discovered that the Rav follows certain customs of the Hasidim. Now, in truth, this was nothing new. It was no secret that Rabbi Shmuel Shmelka was a Talmud of the Magid of Mezrich, who was the successor of the Holy Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidus. Moreover, Rabbi Shmuel Shmelka had not changed his conduct from the way he conducted himself since the first day he took office in Nicholsburg. However, the malicious tongues of the rabbi's enemies continued to wag until the whole community was split into two camps, one for the rabbi and one against. Finally, a special meeting of the community council was called, and it was decided to inform the Rav that for the sake of peace they saw no other way but to ask the rabbi to give up his position and look for a new position elsewhere. So the old shamash was called and ordered to go to the rav and inform him of the community council's decision. The old shamash was horrified. He berated the leaders of the community for their unjust and unkind decision against such a tzaddik as Rabbi Shmuel Shmelka. You will have to find another messenger for this lowly errand. I refuse to do it. The community leaders were shocked to hear such talk from the usually quiet and dutiful old man. Some of them demanded that he be fired immediately. Others thought that the shamish should be asked to explain why he took such a strong stand in defense of the Rav, even at the risk of losing his job in his old age. So the old shamish stood up and began his story. Worthy leaders and masters, began the old shamish, what I am going to tell you has been kept secret by me for many years, for our saintly Rav, in his deep humility, did not want me to talk about it. But I see now that I have no choice. I must reveal to you what I saw with my own eyes and what I heard with my own ears. He told them how he had for the first time seen Eliyahu Hanavi come to the Rav to listen to him learning Taita during the night. And then a second time he saw Eliyahu Hanavi. And then on the third time he saw the Rav escort his two visitors, Eliyahu and Manasha, describing the scene in every detail and the reason for that extraordinary visit. Needless to say, after the members of the council had heard what the Shamash had told with such sincerity, there could no longer be any question of asking their Rav to give up his position. Even the most outspoken critics of the Rav were ashamed of their attitude and became the Rav's admirers, friends, and defenders. Rabbi Shmuel Shmelka 
remained chief rabbi of Nikolsburg and Moravia to the last day of his long life. As to what a great and holy man Rabbi Shmuel Shmelka was, this goes without saying. But the simple humility of the old Shamash of Nikolsburg, to whom Eliyahu Hanavi Zachur Latov had revealed himself more than once, yet he never breathed a word about it to anyone except for that one time for the honor of the Taita, the honor of the Rav, and the honor of the entire Kehillah.